hey, 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 sit down. Take your seats, everybody, because this is Hall Pass, the podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Andrus, and this is episode one. Look back at it. Yes, that look back at it. Before we start, before we get going, I have one quick question for you. What was your parents' reaction when they first heard WAP? Because mine had very surprising reactions on both ends. My mom, being the holy church-going woman that she is, wasn't a huge fan, but also says she really likes the beat. And if you've heard the song, the beat is kind of all about the song. Anyway, my dad really likes the video, which is not surprising. In this first episode, we're gonna unpack that and so much more, debunking the false narrative that black women only just began to write provocative songs expressing their sexual identities. We have some dope experts to help us navigate the bigger historical context here and kind of give you the history lesson you didn't learn in history class. So let's get right to it. I wanna welcome in our first guest, Brianna Hope. Brianna, how are you? Hi, thank you. I'm doing good today. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for being here. I. I want to give a little bit of your bio and then let you have at it. Um, Brianna has written for everyone. I'm talking New York Times, GQ, Atlantic. She has a book coming out here soon called About Black Millennial Womanhood. And generally speaking, is a culture writer in New York, transplant from the great state of Texas. Yes. <laughs> Why would you leave Texas exactly? I don't know. Um, this is just where the industry is. So I had to leave in order to make what's happening now happen um but hardly home but always repping so texas is always <laughs> gonna be on my mind and in my heart but i i appreciate that i appreciate that as a fellow texan that means a lot let me start with this um i hate to put you on the spot but i'm going to anyway oh, we're wow. gonna put 30 seconds on the clock here i want you to name as many songs as you can from the top of your head by black women that contain lyrics that give ladies the freedom of sexual expression Oh, All you have is the time that I'm pulling my phone out. Three, two, go. Oh, my God. Wait. I'll get you started. Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. Okay, but I'm just trying to think, like, every single Megan Thee Stallion song, like, why can't I even think of the names of them right now? Could I list artists? Like, I would say Mulatto, Saweetie, Meg, Nicki, Trina. Um, Adina Howard. Yeah, just, I mean, honestly, almost any Black woman in hip-hop, I feel like this is what they've been doing, whether it's been blatant, explicit, um, softer in their lyrics. I feel like one thing that I love about Black women in hip-hop is that at the root of all their music, it is about sexual liberation, female empowerment, and Black womanhood just at large in general. I am so glad you mentioned that because I think we are at a time right now where black women in particular are taking over the music industry in a way that I think specifically the hip hop industry in a way that I think is, is, is new at the very least. Um, you know, I saw a TikTok the other day about two guys riding in a car and WAP comes on and they kind of got to look off to the window so they can do the words themselves uh -huh. <laughs> just to themselves but not to each other. I guess I want to know, do you think that this has been a long time coming, this sort of revolution where you have people like Mulatto and Sweetie and Megan Thee Stallion that have just kind of taken over this industry and are, are number one on the charts and don't really have 
the the peers that, that don't have the, the the industry all to themselves like Nicki Minaj did for a long time. Yeah, I will say, I mean, before even talking about Meg and the Sweeties and the Mulattoes of our generation, the Summer Walkers, all of them, I think we first have to pay homage to Will Kim, Trina, Missy. Um, mm-hmm. All of them have been doing this from the jump and it's just now being accepted, I think, in a different light because we have social media. Um, I think, like you mentioned, TikTok, just the fact that TikTok has turned into an app where an artist can put a song on t- TikTok and that's where it blows up. It didn't blow up from being on a Spotify, Spotify playlist or for them posting it on their Instagram or doing marketing about it. It went viral on TikTok and Gen Z, shout out to them, started making dances about it. And, and then it crosses over to these different um, demographics. I think for the first time we're seeing black women in hip hop really transfer over into young white women listening to them, uh, young Latino women, everybody feeling empowered by their music at large. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. One of the things about our culture being online the way it is, is that everyone has access to it. And I think that is in some ways an awesome thing so that you can have Travis Scott get a deal with McDonald's, but at the same time, that 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 feeling of of people invading your your cultural space is also real. I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's positive in the sense that we are being accepted at large. Like Megan, for example, and Cardi, when WAP came out, still received a lot of negative backlash um, from people across all demographics but at the same time there's young white girls who are on TikTok dancing to this music so it's no longer just it is a black issue but we have more support in the way that we can say you guys can't tear this down when there's other women that you do respect who are like who like this music we're using this music in their workout classes who are learning to dance to this music as well um So yeah, and I think the thing about TikTok where I think it's a lot of one-sided culture crossing, whereas people are borrowing from us, Black women, but Black women, we're not really borrowing from anyone else. We're not really being influenced by seeing um, other women of other races, what they're doing. And I think if people are going to do that with our music, then at the same time, on the other end of it, you have to respect and uphold and support Black women as equally as you're taking from them. So, so speaking of that, you touched on a bit of that in your article for Complex. Why Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's empowering anthem WAP is so important. Um, there are think pieces on virtually everything these days, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to take a cultural moment like this and really stake a flag in the ground and talk about what it means to this sort of hip hop movement that's going on for Black women in general. So, tell me what you what your message was with that that article in the first place yeah well i think the first what prompted me to write that because originally i was going to write just a review of the song but we all know the song hits and we know the video hits and what i was looking more i wanted to do a cultural critique a cultural analysis of how people across different cultures were reacting to this music video and i think it was shocking to me because this music has always existed. Um, I don't know any man who hasn't played Slob on My Knob as one of his favorite songs. And I compare, I use Slob on My Knob as a comparison because I'm like, that song is equally as explicit, equally as graphic. And it's about a man talking about how he wants 
a woman to pleasure him, to please him. And and we all love that song. And we at every probate I went to in college, Slob on My Knob came on. Um, and it's just like, but when women do it and they talk about pleasure and they talk about female empowerment and they're at the head of the relationship and asking the man to please them, all of a sudden it's, it's such an issue and there's so much backlash. Um, and I think it was so important for this song to come out during this time because we're in a pandemic, we're also in a pandemic and a social justice movement is unfolding where I think people really for the first time are really self-reflecting on what role do they play in um, the abandonment of black women and black men, just black people in general. And I think a lot of people are trying to be progressive and there's these arguments of some of it's performative. Um, and it was shocking to me that a lot of people who I would, who I feel genuinely believe they're progressive or left leaning or supportive of black people had issues with this music video. Um, and I, like I wrote in the article, there was a sentence where I said, if people are really trying to figure out where they stand um, with black women, you can, the answer is right there when how you reacted to this video. So aside from this song, being a bop, as you mentioned, aside from the fact this song goes, you know, this thing debuted at number one, um, number one on Spotify with 2.34 million streams. I, I think one of the things that has changed over time is just the the um, the acceptance of this, you know, like the, the idea that women can sort of have this music that expresses themselves in this way and it just be consumed constantly everywhere. Why do you think that is? I think it, like I mentioned before, I think it's this movement that's happening because of social media. I think we're the, I think a lot of these kids, these younger Gen Z kids who are not black, who are listening to WAP, they probably can't name a Trina song. They probably can't name, shoot, they probably can't name an early Nicki Minaj song because we weren't having this cross, um, transfer of cultures the way we are now whereas now they are being exposed to this music at large and they're seeing black women dance to it on tiktok and they see that it's cool and then they're doing the same before i feel like this was very much just within our bubble just within our culture and our circle and that's why we're seeing i mean i saw that wop like was going viral in finland and you know in switzerland and i'm like oh they're really over there dancing to that and listening to it as well which is something you wouldn't typically expect um, and so I think that's just what's happening is that our culture, like you said, it's available online and everybody can dabble in it as they please, which is a negative and a positive. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, I think one of the things and, you know, this is an educational podcast as much as we try to disguise it. I think um, this idea of sexual expression has been around for a long time, specifically from Black women. Um, you talk about folks like Lucille Bogan, Bessie Smith. Why do you think that history isn't known? And, and two, why is it so important to where we are now? Yeah, I think, I mean, when I just think of history and American history at large, I think there's so much that isn't known and that we learn at home. Um, you know about these artists probably, and I know about these artists because our parents knew about these artists. Our older brother, or older sister put us on these artists. Um, and I think for the first time, people, like years from now, people will know who Megan Thee Stallion was or is because she grew up with the internet age. Her fame happened online. 
whereas it's not a transfer of us playing CDs and, and, and listening to this music at parties that only we're at, that Black people are at. The um, waiting to exhale, like, CD that we've all... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Cleaned up the house too. Brianna, I, I want to thank you so, so much for taking some time with me. The last question I have for you before we get out of here, have you talked to your parents about this song yet? And if so, if you, if you haven't, what are you going to tell them? I talked to my, Sarah, I talked to my mom about the song. I was actually in Texas uh, for some time during the pandemic and I went to Megan's first virtual live concert that she did. I think this was about two or three weeks ago. And I was telling my mom about it. I was letting her watch it just to see her reaction to the concert before I even had her read my piece. She didn't know about this piece, she's not online. Um, and her reaction to the concert was very similar to how people were react, older people were reacting to the song. And I knew she would react that way. And then I let her read the article and she definitely did start to self-reflect, but she is still a boomer and having a bit of a hard time like completely accepting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, black women like right on that general area, you know, yeah. my church going mother. Exactly. Not, just having she trouble. She can't do both. So she can't do both. Read piece. that was a start. Some people won't even read that piece. They'll just keep their opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, Brianna, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me again. Thank you. That was Brianna Holt, culture critic at large in NYC. Before we move on, I want to introduce you guys to something we do here at Hall Pass, the podcast, vocab cards. You remember those? The, those vocabulary words you got from your teacher that you had to memorize? We do that here too. They are important words for this important conversation. And today's vocab card is self-expression. It's a noun, and it means the assertion of one's own feelings, thoughts, or ideas, especially in writing art, music, or dance. Self-expression is gonna help you with the conversation that we are about to have with Hess Love. Oh, great God, daddy, grind me, honey, and shave me dry. And when you hear me holler, baby. Our second guest on our first ever episode, a writer, a spiritual activist, mother, an all around great, great person. Yes, how are you doing? Hey, Jamal, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I want to just tell you that I am a new parent. Do you have any wise words before we get going? Take that nap. That's my, 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 that's my wisest words I can offer you. I promise as a parent, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to run errands. Don't take the nap whenever you have that chance. Yes, ma'am. Let's dive into... Um, Let's dive into this era that we're in right now. You know, for there was a point in time where it felt like the only female rapper making any noise was Nicki Minaj for like a long period of time. What I'm hoping you can speak to is how this isn't a new thing. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about Black empowerment, Black femininity, uh, Black sexual expression, specifically from Black women, um, that goes well, well before uh, what we have now. Yes, so I like to believe that what we have right now is a continuation of really like a centuries or even longer than that um, tradition of just kind of 
owning like black sensuality um, and black sexual expression and, and black pleasure that's for adults only. So it's grown folks business. It's definitely not for kids. And if you hear any kids uh, screaming in the background, speaking of kids, those are mine. <laughs> um, so they, they do not respect me in my time. Uh, but one of the artists that's pretty provocative that sticks out to me is Lucille Bogan, uh, blues singer, like back in the 20s and 30s. And her lyrics, even by today's standards of 2020, like 100 years, almost 100 years later, they are explicit. They come with a parental advisory warning. Um, that sticker, if that parental advisory had been invented back in the early 1900s, she probably would have been the first person <laughs> to, get, to get that sticker. Uh, and what it shows us is that, you know, the being expressive and being vocal about sexuality and sex and pleasure is not a new thing. It did not arrive with Nicki Minaj. It didn't even arrive with Little Kim or was it Anita Howard? Um, so like it, it's, it's old. And the thing that we are seeing is that there are certain societal layers being peeled back about what it means to be ladylike, what it means to be able to be professional. Speaking of that, uh, you have a playlist on Spotify that is amazing and i think it's also something that goes well past sort of the quote-unquote old school that i'm familiar with your frankie beverly and mays your al green um this is this is well past that and it's called hoen blues that's the creole spelling of hoen uh and you can look it up on spotify but tell me how you came up with the idea to create this playlist in the first place this playlist is actually quite a few years old. Um, it started originally like as a me posting on Facebook with like these YouTube links. And then I think I finally got Spotify in like 2018. So it was before I had Spotify. Um, and I forgot what people were talking about. I think it may have been either Nicki Minaj or Cardi B, but I forgot which one. Um, and if it was Cardi B, it would be so interesting because the resurgence of this playlist saw itself come again with Cardi B's song WAP. Um, but what inspired me was that this conversation about Black women were not explicit back in the day. Our grandmothers had respect or whatever. Like, it's been going on for years. And I was like, that is not true. Like, just because they did a better job, at, I, I think, at hiding it, right? Or sometimes, even, all, like, even right now, typically adults right now, they don't tell us the most explicit things that was going on when they were young and, you know, uh, adults, right? They just, we just know the history. But they don't share that. But it happens, even with us right now as parents. We're not going to share walk with our kids intentionally most likely right like they're probably going to grow up and find out about it if they do but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen so it's the same thing it's just like just because your grandmother or your great grand was not explicit in saying i was you know looking back at it back in the day right <laughs> doesn't mean that they weren't actually doing these things and we have the music to prove it um and i'm actually about to bring up this playlist now because what i loved about it um as i was finding this music is that the language with Lucille Bogan and Bessie Smith could be explicit, but everything else was coded. And that's how it came about. It was just, it's the same exact conversation we're having right now is, we were not, a, your grandmother had more respect without explicit. I'm like, she lied. Because <laughs> if you pull out them old records and she still had that vinyl, you might see something on there. Better ask her about that juke joint she used to live next to or something. Right? These, this, this playlist and the titles, I just... As you mentioned, I just want to go through a few of these. Uh, Drive Me Daddy is on here. Uh, Fat Meat is Good Meat is on here. I love that song. 
I'm a mighty tight woman is on here. This is, again, very good playlist for those who are old enough to consume it. Uh, let's, let me ask you this. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned the fact that this is, a, this is part of the Black tradition. And I guess my question is, why do you think people hide this part of themselves? Why do you think this is not present in, in history books or history class and, and, and why it's important for it to be there, either from your sort of structured official history or just from your, your family who tells you, you know, hey, this is nothing new. This is, here are the sort of records that, that I listened to when, you know, I found myself drinking out a mason jar on a Friday night at the local juke spot. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's this really interesting conflict and juxtaposition. This country both has an obsession with sex and sexuality, and it uses sex to sell, and it always has, but it's also very puritanical. So there's one song I wanted to bring up, particularly um, the why is because it was a... a I hate to bring this man up right now, but Tory Lanez, right? And you know how you just like created this whole album talking about his side of the story and everything of that nature. So the same thing has been happening in Black music for a long time. It's very much a chance for the artist to give their side of the story of something. Um, and the why was just that I have your attention. I'm going to talk about what I want. So the example of the song, a song that I want to give is Prove It On Me Blues by Ma Rainey. And the context behind the song is like, Ma Rainey was, was queer and the people knew it, right? But it was whispers. And then like, everyone was like, oh, she's dealing with women, she's dealing with women. She made this song it was like, but you can't prove it though, <laughs> pretty much. And that's on the, that's, that's, that's on the, um, you know, that's on the playlist. And then she was like, you know, I be out with women, you whatever, but you can't prove that I'm doing anything gay with them. And so a lot of times people, especially women who sang blues, they were particularly scandalized of seeing, you know, as the devil, not of church music, what have you. And so what we see a lot in blues music, especially for women artists, was it was their chance to tell a story of something. Um, it was their people who don't typically get listened to, like, especially like in their community. Um, if they weren't singing, you know, people would just look at down at them and kind of like superimpose like the Jezebel trope or whatever trope against them. Um, but with singing in the stage, it was like, I finally got my audience. And now I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about, whether it's, you know, kind of antagonizing people and chastising, like, you might have these rumors, but you can't prove it, right? Or it's just like, and this is what I like to do. You think it's bad enough? You know, you think it's scandalous enough? I'm just going to just go forward with it like Lucille Bogan um, did with, uh, oh my goodness, till the cows come home, <laughs> shave them dry. Uh, so particularly, I think it was almost always an act of resistance and an act of what would you do when you had control of the narrative and control of an audience? I have the power of the narrative right now. What am I going to say? Whereas in the past, we saw sort of uh, either a shaming of the folks who expressed themselves this way, or at the very least, the fact that they couldn't make it mainstream. And you flat, fast forward to now, where you have 2.3 million streams for WAP in the first day or the first week. Um, when did that switch happen? When did, when was this turning point um, for Black women to be able to express themselves in, in this way? So it's not only because of the way our society has shifted and that Black artists 
um, typically become immediately consumable for white audiences a lot sooner than they did back in the day. But it's also technology. We have the advent of social media, even if someone who's just not into rap, right, or hip hop or whatever, um, they heard about WAP or other songs because of social media and people talking about it. So technology plays a huge role in how many listens things get. Um, social media plays a huge role because people want to be in on that conversation. Like, what are folks talking about? Well, Hess, that is all I have for you. I, I want to ask you before we go, the last thing, if you had to tell someone listening to listen to one song on this fantastic playlist of yours, uh, which one would it be? I am so glad I had this uh, this up. So, oh goodness. Um, you just get one. Just you get just one. just get one. <laughs> okay. So one song that particularly tickles me, and I love it. It's anybody here want to uh, try my cabbage? And I'm trying to like find out who uh, sings it by Maggie Jones. Anybody here want to try my cabbage? And it's just, <laughs> she just says it so plain and so dry. And it makes me think of like, I wonder if our grandparents are using food words for things when we up here thinking they talking about banana bread, but they ain't really talking about banana bread. <laughs> and so that song just brings up so many ideas. Um, and it's just so funny, but it's also a good song. And so I recommend listening to that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Black folks been, uh coding their sexual language for a long time. When I found out Rocksteady wasn't about just hanging out, that was, that was a moment for me. Hess, <laughs> thank you so much for spending some time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Jamal. Thank you for um, having me on the, like, the first episode. I'm really honored. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll bring you back. Don't worry. All right. I, I would love to come back. Thanks again to Hess Love for joining us. Before the bell rings, I wanna give you guys Jamal's study hall. These are just sort of my thoughts. Really quick, I promise I won't hold you. Empowerment takes a lot of different forms, but the one central theme is you. You know, does it make you feel powerful, important, authentic? Um, you're a one of one and you gotta remember that. And that is, I think the most empowering thing you can be. If this is your first time considering this point of view, that's okay too. I was on the basketball team. I was in those locker rooms with that problematic behavior and I get it. But when you know better, you gotta do better. We're actually recording this just a few days after a grand jury decided not to charge anyone for shooting and killing Breonna Taylor. And while these conversations seem far apart, I mean, are they really? Malcolm X said the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. And if we want to change that, it means supporting and protecting black women, no matter who they are or how they express themselves. That's all I got. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can catch us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you heard today, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at BAPS Productions. We'll have another lesson plan to add to the Hall Pass curriculum. And we'll be taking your suggestions too. Again, my name is Jamal Andrus, and this is the Hall Pass Podcast.